Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you ever struggle with God? Do you ever wrestle with God? Do you ever, do you ever have uh, conversations with God? That are, that, that are maybe difficult for you to have. There is something unsettling about honestly struggling with God. But there is also something good and healthy about honestly struggling with God. Sometimes I think we, we look at our struggles with God and think, if I don't say it, if I don't actually say it to God and address it to God, then... He doesn't know that I'm struggling. But the reality is he does know. And scripture tells us in a variety of places that God is, would much rather have us just be honest with him and talk it out and work through it with him than to act as if we're not struggling when we are. And this is what I find when I come to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is not a, it's not a theological treatise. It, it's a poetic description of the writer's struggle with life and with God. We didn't read this, but the very first words of this, uh, of, of what the, the author writes are in a variety of translations. In the old King James, it's vanity, vanity, all is vanity. In the more modern translations, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Those are the words of someone who is struggling with life and struggling with God because they care about God. And you see that played out all throughout the, the, the writing of this book. And in fact, the, the chapter, the section headings in my Bible are these. The pointless cycle of life, the futility of life. Weariness, oppression, and inhumanity, the futility of popularity, religiosity, and wealth, the futility of life. This is the, this is the mindset of the writer throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's struggling with life, and he's struggling with, with all of the ways in which he has thought about life and interpreted life and believed life was to be, and by implication, what God was to be. And then you come to chapter 3. And this chapter that we, we read the first part of it, this, this chapter that talks about all of these times. Now, I don't know how old you have to be, but I certainly am in the category. When I, every time I read these verses in Ecclesiastes 3, my mind automatically goes to the popular song of the 1960s by the birds, Turn, Turn, Turn. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn. And if you're old enough, that, that would probably come to your mind. And it's really just taking the, this passage of Scripture and putting it into a popular folk song. That always comes to my mind. And it's always been intriguing to me that this popular song would be based from something in the Bible. I think it tells us that there is something here that resonates with us. And when you read through this list... You don't really 
I mean, I, I'm not sure that the, that the writer is saying, here's a list of things and you, and you ought to examine them and break them down. Because quite frankly, some of the things when I read there, I think really there's a time for that. There's a time to hate. There really is a time for, for some of the things to kill. There, there's, there's, there are times for those. And I suspect if we really worked them out, we'd be able to, to figure out those times. But I really think what the author is saying is life ebbs and flows. Life has ups and downs. Life has, has progress and, and going backwards. There are all these things in life that we wrestle with that life keeps bringing at us. And we never know quite when they are coming. And because we don't know when they're coming, we don't know exactly how to respond to them. And I think one of the things that the writer here is wrestling with is how do we know which time is which? How do we respond to the times that come to us? Because quite frankly, all of these times that come seem to have no meaning or purpose to them other than the fact that this is just the way life is. Unless, unless God is at work in each of the times. I think there is a meaning to, to the ebb and the flow of life. And I think that, that, but sometimes we get so caught up when we're in the middle of the times, it's hard to see it. Because we believe that life is about, should be for us, just doing what we want to do. Accomplishing what we want to accomplish. Comfort and ease. That's why I, I wonder, as I thought about this passage, the road sign that came to my mind was really a pair of them. Slippery when wet and bridge ices before roadway. They're kind of cousins of each other, if road signs can be related. But they're basically telling us the same thing. When the road, when it, the road is wet, this is a place that is, going, that is especially slippery. And when there is ice and snow, bridges are places where may, that are probably going to be slippery. And I suspect most of the time, we don't pay all that much attention to these signs. And there certainly is a, a lot of the year where we don't need to pay attention to these signs until we do. I think that, that there is something about these signs that, that reminds us that, that they are no respecter of persons or the kind of vehicle we might be driving or the accomplishments we might have made. It doesn't matter how famous you are it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter anything about us as far as what we are in this world. Those signs are for everyone. It doesn't matter what kind of vehicle you're driving. If you're driving a, a semi-trailer, be careful. Even if you're driving a vehicle that has permission to go as fast as they need to... An ambulance that is making its way down the highway with lights flashing, with, with a desperately ill person in the back, driving as fast as they possibly can, doesn't look at that sign and say, well, it doesn't apply to us. We're in a hurry. We have the right to go as fast as we want to. Because the sign isn't, the sign isn't describing, uh, isn't, isn't 
changing the circumstances of the road. It's telling us these are the circumstances of the road. Pay attention. It's a warning. And some of the road signs that we, we encounter are information. Some of them are invitation. And some of them are warnings. And this is a warning. Slow down. Pay attention. And I think there are times of life when we need to especially take heed to slow down, pay attention. Because we're in a danger zone. Sometimes, and we've talked about this over the course of the week, sometimes we slow down and pay attention or else we're going to miss something really great that God has for us. But this is a sign that says slow down, pay attention, because it's a dangerous place in which you find yourself. I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is really wrestling with, with some dangerous places. Even in the honest struggle, even in, 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 his, in his honesty with God, there is this sense in which, in which he, he, he's missing the point of what God's trying to tell him, and we miss it too. When you look at verse 9, he, he says here that, that what, what's, the, what's the point of, of all the hard work that we do in this world? What's the point of all the labor and toil that we give to this world? It, because we do it, we work hard, we labor hard, we give ourselves to it, and what do we have to show for it? Life is still hard. And life is difficult, and we don't get everything that we want. And it strikes me that, that in some ways this is the wrong question to ask. Because what he's saying is, life should be comfortable. Life should be easy. If you, if you work hard enough, if you give yourself to it enough, if you, if you engage it enough, then, and you do all the right things, then God should make life easy for us. And God should make life comfortable for us. And I think one of the reasons we struggle with God and we struggle with life is because that's our mindset too. It sounds a lot like the, the man in the parable of Jesus in Luke 12 who has such a, a bumper crop that he doesn't know what to do with all of it. And, and he has two choices. One is to say there are a lot of poor people around me. I don't really need this. I have plenty. I'll give it away. But he doesn't. He hoards it. And he says, I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can store it. And then I can sit back and I can take life easy. This is what life is supposed to be. Me taking it easy. Relaxing. And God says to the man, you're a fool. You've completely missed it. God doesn't create us, and, and, and Jesus, we don't journey with Jesus so that life can be easy. We journey with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus. And to become like anything, to change, to grow, is, is a challenge for us. You know, I... One of the, there have been a lot of great inventions in the 20th century. You know, I was just thinking about it this week. You know, the pacemaker, computers, uh, 
phones, and you may have varying opinions about these things, but, but they're all inventions that we think are pretty great most of the time. One of those inventions I think is pretty great is cruise control. Uh, I don't know if you've thought that much about it, but if I've driven cross-country a few times, and cruise control, I've done it without cruise control, and I've done it with cruise control. And believe me, drive, doing it with cruise control is a lot easier. You know, when you have to put your foot on the gas pedal the whole time, it, it cramps up, it's difficult. But it also is a great tool to prevent getting speeding tickets because you set it at a, at a speed, as long as you set it at a reasonable speed, uh, then you just go. You set it and forget it. And, and I think there is a way in which we think that's the way our journey with Jesus is. What we're really looking for is to get to a place where we don't have curves and hills and we don't have slippery spots and we don't have dangerous places. We just want to put it on cruise control and go. We don't have to think about life. We don't have to worry about life. We don't have to think about difficult things in life. And that's what God should do for us. But the reality is, that's not how life is. We live in a world where there are slippery places. We live in a world where, where there are icy bridges. I remember my parents talking when I was young about an older couple that they knew who had just had an accident. And as I was overhearing them talking, they were talking about how they were driving in, in, in the rain and, and they were using cruise control and they hit a slippery spot and the car began to hydroplane. And that was bad enough, but the problem was the cruise control stayed on. And it just, pro just propelled them hydroplaning on this road and they eventually slammed into an embankment. It's fortunate that they weren't killed, but they were, they were seriously injured. And I think sometimes we wonder, why, why has life crumbled when all the while we're just, we just want to sit back and run cruise control and we don't want to pay any attention to the warnings of God, and yet they come to us. I think we are living in a world at a time right now where that, that, that we need to especially pay attention to God and to slow down. There's so many things happening in our nation and in our world and God is saying to his children, this is not about your ease. This is not about your life of comfort. This is about you being so engaged with me, slowing down, hearing me, listening to me, engaging with me, that you become a presence of life and hope and peace and love and truth in a world that desperately needs that. And far too often, the church in, our, in the difficulties of the world have sat back and said, we just want to be on cruise control. We just want to do our own thing. We don't have to think about problems. We don't have to think about difficulties. Those aren't our problems. Those are other people's problems. They have nothing to do with me. And God keeps putting up signs and saying, no, slow down. Because this is a dangerous time. And I want you to be a part of the solution. I want you to be a presence for me. I want you to be image bearers. To be what people need in the midst of the difficulties. The only way we can do that is if we are engaged with Jesus. We come back again to the means of grace. 
The only way we can hear God and see God and, and that we will pay attention to Him is if we are putting ourselves in a position where we can see Him and hear Him and engage with Him. That we are regularly in the Scriptures asking God, what do you want to say to me through the Scriptures? What do you, how do you want to work in my life? What, what do I need to hear? We pray, not just asking God to do things as important as that is, but also, just, as we sang this morning, listening, waiting, so that he can speak into our lives. And we do works of mercy. And we put ourselves in a place where we think about other people and the needs and the burdens that they are experiencing. We are on the journey with Jesus, and He's leading us, and He's guiding us, and He's directing us, and far too often, we want to be in the driver's seat, and we want to be in control, and all the while, Christ is calling us to let Him have control, to surrender to His way, to pay attention to the signs that He puts in front of us. When you get to, to the end of this, this section, the writer says that, that ultimately we are to fear God. In verse 14, he talks about fearing God, that we know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people would fear him. And people read that and think, so we're supposed to be afraid of God? I don't, that's not really what that word means. In this context, it's talking about being in awe of God, respecting God, seeing God for who He is. Sometimes when we think about fearing God, we get so nervous. People have, have responded to that by simply running away from God. And that would sort of be like driving down the road and seeing a sign that says slippery when wet and saying, and just pulling off the road and saying, I'm not going to drive anymore. That's not what that's telling us. It's not a stop sign, it's a be careful sign. And what it really is, there's a sense in which we fear those signs, not because we, we, we're afraid of them, but because we respect them. We respect what they mean. We respect what they're saying to us. And that's the call of God, to say, God, I, I fear you, I respect you, I honor you because of who you are. You're holy, you're righteous, you are just, and you are merciful and good, and everything you do is right, and everything you ask of me is for the eternal good of me and for the world. You see that he says in, in verses 10 and 11 and 12, he talks about the eternal nature of God, and how he says that God has made everything beautiful for his own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded, there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can in him. We cannot see the end of what's going on. We cannot see what's going to be ahead of us. And that's why the day-by-day, moment-by-moment journey with Jesus is so important. But what we do know is that wherever God is leading us, whatever God is asking of us, anytime he puts a, a be careful sign in front of us, 
It is for the eternal good of us and for others. And the question for us is, do we believe that? Do we believe that all of God's purposes are good? That they are wholly good? The temptation of the serpent in the garden to Adam and Eve is really boiled down to God's holding back from you. God, want, God said he wants you to be to flourish and he wants you to he wants you to experience the goodness of his creation but not too much. Otherwise, why would he not let you eat that tree? And it starts getting under their skin and it starts getting into their minds until what they the, the real essence of their rebellion against God is that somewhere at some point they believe God is not as good as he says he is. And that continues to be our struggle. That when God says, be careful, somehow we interpret that as, God is withholding good from me. When God says, life is not about comfort and ease, but about being my image bearers, there's something in us that says, God is holding back good from me. And that's why the call of the gospel is to trust him. To trust that he is who he says he is. That he is good and merciful and gracious. And that we can trust him. Every moment, every time, whatever that may be, in the ebb and the flow of life, when we understand it and when we don't, God is good and his purposes are good. And he is always who he says he is. And the question before every one of us is, do we believe that? Do we believe it? I don't know what kinds of, of caution, warning signs God may put in front of you. But whatever God is saying to you, whatever God is saying to me, it's because he loves us. And because his plans for us are far greater than any of the plans we could ever have for ourselves. Heavenly Father, give us grace to see you, to trust you, to hear your warnings so that you might work in us more and more the Spirit and to bear the image of Christ. Father, give us grace to trust you and to believe that you are who you say you are. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen.